Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Bitcoin Mechanic, musician, podcaster, and Bitcoiner. We talk about his experiences in the music industry, the punk attitude, and its similarity to fiat money and Bitcoin. Mechanic also tells us about how he got obsessed with Bitcoin, why he's looking to leave Canada, and why planning for the future really needs to take this into account. Bitcoin Mechanic is a really talented musician. At one point, I saw him play bass, piano, and sing at the same time. This isn't surprising since he's been getting paid for playing music since he was 10 years old. He embodies a lot of the punk, punk anti-authoritarian spirit that used to be prevalent in music, but isn't anymore. It's that attitude that's getting him to move. This episode will hopefully help you understand what the punk in cypherpunk means. Bitcoin Mechanic, how's everything going, man? Yeah, it's beautiful. We're sitting down here in Mexico, thanks to Ugly Old Goat. He put on this Bitcoin <laughs> Standard Conference, and he's done an amazing job with it. He's treated us like kings. We're staring right now at this giant, enormous mountain next to this amazing horsepower ranch. I don't know. It's been amazing. It was a small conference. Mm. Not that many people attended, but it's one that I really hope to see grow a lot, and it deserves to. Yeah, and very family friendly as well, right? Like you got to bring your family. I'm, I drove my family, <laughs> so yeah. it's uh, you know, Ugly Ogod has his whole family, extended family, really. It, it's it's been very fun. Yeah, it has Miami wouldn't have been you know Bitcoin twenty twenty one. I'm glad I didn't bring my family to that. Mm. That was absolutely like the the line to get in was like two hours long, right? Yeah, you know. But yeah, the, straight up, I told, I I asked Goat immediately when he sort of contacted me and said do you want to do this mm -hmm. i was like i've got to bring my family and he's like don't worry it's very family friendly uh, jimmy's bringing his he said jackamo's bringing his too but jackamo only ended up traveling with mir and uh -huh. not bringing his baby uh -huh. so yeah i mean it was really family friendly it's been just beautiful and yeah to segue into what i think we're going to be talking about mm. we were also checking out and auditioning mexico as a place to live at least for the short term, mm. just while Canada gets its shit together, mm. because it's not it's not looking great. Canada seems to be sort of following along Australia in the draconian, irrational, unscientific measures against COVID, and it's <laughs> it's not appealing. It's it's quite worrying, really. Yeah, here. I want to talk about that a little bit because uh, you know you had some things to say at the conference about why people are sort of like so compliant on all this stuff. And Canada and Australia seem to like be really bad, like those two places in particular. And they're kind of known as, you know, places that are nice to live normally for the rest of the world. It seemed to have turned on its head. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Svetsky got in my head a couple of days ago with mm. his theories. And mm. one of his theories that I'm digesting, I don't know if mm. I'm sure how true it is yet, is that the wealthier the country, the more they can afford to do these indulgent <laughs> measures like zero COVID, which is mm. literally like we are not letting you out of your house mm -hmm. until the cold doesn't exist anymore, or at mm -hmm. least something as hard to cure as a common cold, mm -hmm. which is basically like, you know, it's a modern day rain dance, as mm -hmm. Stevan Lavara puts it. It's, it's not a thing that can realistically be done, but you can indulge in it if your country is really wealthy. Mm. And Canada does well, Australia does well. Poorer countries can't afford to do that stuff. I mean, it was the same. It's kind of, you know, a state level version of what we saw on an individual basis, which was, you know, for the whole of 2020, a lot of people, I saw someone uh, characterize the whole thing as 
COVID hysteria is middle class and rich people staying at home while poor people bring them things mm. like Uber Eats <laughs> and like Amazon delivery drivers. Like <laughs> it's basically like that on a national scale, right? Mm. Like no one in Mexico is locking down because they just can't. They need to work. They need mm -hmm. to survive. They're living, you know, but people like in Western elite, you know, rich circumstances can really spend eight months without going outside and if they get mail spray it with whatever <laughs> lies like we all did it a bit no not we all like some people like my uh -huh. like joyce my other half uh -huh. she to her credit she smelt the bullshit right away she mm. was like this is nonsense i'm not mm. worried about this she has a background in biology mm. so she understood more about what coronaviruses are and i didn't so i was paranoid as heck for about mm. six weeks or mm -hmm. something and mm -hmm. then by around, I think, I think around early April 2020, that's when I was like, oh, well, I go to my normal pathological fear of authoritarianism and that's, <laughs> my immune system can't cure that, right? So I was done at that point. I was like, that's it. I don't care about COVID at all anymore. Uh -huh. Like, uh, if I get it, whatever. But there's nothing I can do to, like, these freedoms are going to take decades to get back. Like, mm. just the general understanding that it's okay to, I mean... 9-11, you never mm -hmm. saw those measures disappear from airports ever, mm -hmm. and they were all temporary. Patriot Act, it's all supposed to be temporary. It never is. You know, that adage, there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government measure. <laughs> so, yeah, it started to get very worrying for me last spring, mm. and, you know, here we are in 20... Like, at the end and of... We're in year two, right? <laughs> like, this yeah, is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> everyone at the end of 2020 was like, that sucked, but, you know, let's all wave goodbye to that awful year. You don't realize it's only just starting. Like, they, yeah. you know, it it's doesn't... It's August uh, already. Yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, COVID is seasonal. We know that, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is summer. This is yeah. easy. Like, Canada, my province, BC, <laughs> just said no more mask mandates. Mm. So they relaxed it a lot. But I know what's going to happen. In about a month or two, they've already stated unequivocally that they're going for vaccine passports. Not in my province, but my province tends to do what the others do just uh -huh. a bit later, uh -huh. which is annoying because the science has already been demonstrated to not work. Mm. So it's kind of, it gives us more time to flee. But at the same mm. time, it's even more maddening when they mm. made kids wear masks in schools this year. Yeah. In 2021, they brought that in in March 2021. And we're like, but we've got the data now. What yeah, are you talking yeah. about? We yeah. know that these things don't work. Like it made sense as a precaution at the beginning to be, you know, mm. like better safe than sorry. Now we just know they don't work. And for mm. kids, kids don't get affected by covid we know that's like oh man well yeah anyway i don't know i lost my train of thought with that one <laughs> well yeah i mean you're going on about what's going on in canada and stuff and about how richer countries can sort of afford to do that mm. and you live in canada and it seems to be locking down harder than almost any other country other than maybe australia and you know i mean what's going on there why is canada like going so extreme here Mm, it's a good question. Mm. I don't know why. I mean, there is. You do have. I don't know. I'm. St I'm loath to characterize a nation as having a sort of personality or something. <laughs> I remember a discussion between Kasparov and uh -huh. I think it was like Bill Maher or uh -huh. one of these like you know American TV comedians where you know. He was saying, why do you have Vladimir Putin? Uh -huh. And is it something to do with the Russian spirit that uh -huh. has it? And Kasparov just went full checkmate mode <laughs> like, and was like, look, you wouldn't say that about Koreans, right? Mm -hmm. You have South Korea, which is, you know, mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes, a, a Western thriving democracy. Uh -huh. Then you have North Korea, which is <laughs> the pinnacle of... And it, I think it's not to do with Koreans, right? Uh -huh. It's to do with 
the geopolitics like mm -hmm. china is why north korea is the way it is and and russia yeah yeah, yeah. Or, so, or the ussr anyway so i think it's genuinely due to the politicians i mean uh, but on the flip side of what i just said democracy is actually kind of real like mm. people do get what they want to mm -hmm. some extent or at least they will get what they don't push back against hard enough mm. so Australians, it's so hard to know what's real, right? Like, mm. how do you gauge it? Because if I see, like, a new measure brought out in the UK, which is also really bad and where I'm originally from, mm. or Australia, there'll be, like, a tweet about it from some, you know, some mainstream media publication saying, you know, lockdowns to be extended by, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Tom was going crazy about this. Like, one 83-year-old <laughs> man died of COVID, or with COVID. Uh -huh. I should say, with COVID. <laughs> and they went military lockdown uh -huh. after that. Like, helicopters going around areas where people were known to be less compliant. Like, straight-up martial law from mm -hmm. one guy mm -hmm. above, like, his expected, you know, mm -hmm. well, life expectancy. You know... And But generally, what I'm saying is the responses I see, even though it's not statistically valid, I mean, anecdotes are pretty much all you have to go on in this sort of 1984-style world anyway. Like, mm. it's so hard to trust, like, you know, big-scale studies. So anecdotally, I just see the responses, and people are, like, uh, actually annoyed that their government isn't going harder. They're actually frustrated with it. And, mm. and yeah, like we were talking about at the conference, I think there are psychological factors. One is Stockholm Syndrome, which is <laughs> if you've had everything screwed up for you, uh -huh. then it's really hard to admit that it was not actually worth it. And it's the equivalent of the, the sunk cost fallacy, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. you take on a trade, it goes in a bad direction and you hold on to it irrationally, even though you have new information, you know it's not a good trade, but you hold on to it anyway. Mm. And that's what people are doing with COVID because it's, it's really hard to change direction with that, I think. Mm. And then there's also... There's no way you can sell either and like make yeah. any money off yeah. of it. So it's like... Yeah. Yeah, capitulation doesn't get you something back yeah. because you might as well go along with it. You've had the first two shots. You might as well get the third <laughs> because why get the first two shots and then lose your freedom if getting the third is what, now what's required for your freedom? Yeah. So there's that. But then there's also this way more dark part of it, which mm -hmm. we got into in the conference as well, which is that you have these... You have these nasty parts of the human condition, right? Mm. That people don't really want to acknowledge. And it's, mm. that's actually really true of Canadians. Because mm. Canadians are known for this, like, <laughs> super friendly, you know. Uh -huh. And it's okay, but there's always, like, there's always this dark under. That, like, mm. uh, who is it? Is it? Who is the guy with the shadow? The Carl, I think it's Carl Jung who talks uh -huh. about the shadow. <laughs> and there's this idea that there's this nasty part of you that... Mm that is real and you can't ever pretend isn't real. Like, mm. you have to acknowledge it, you've got to incorporate it, you've got to integrate it, and you've got to know what it's capable of. And mm. it's like this biblical concept of the meek shall inherit the earth. Mm -hmm. And meek meaning, it's not that you're a complete, like, daisy flower and capable of no damage whatsoever, because there's mm -hmm. no honor in that. Yeah, the idea meekness is, is not weakness. Exactly. Yeah. It's, the concept is you're capable of extreme damage, but you're powerful and you don't use it. You use it to the best of your extent. You know what it is, you incorporate it, and you use it for good. Mm -hmm. So that's not incorporated. Like, everyone's just told, we're, we got a lot of noise here, but I think the signal uh, yeah, should yeah, be yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. We should be good. We're at the horsepower ranch, guys. <laughs> And yeah. there's a lot of horsepower being yeah. <laughs> I think we got like 30 more of these vehicles to go by, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, it should be all right. We, I'm talking right into the microphone. Uh -huh. So yeah, there's this unincorporated shadow thing, and I think it's this. It ties in again with that whole uh -huh. weak men create mm. hard times. Hard <laughs> time. Like 
We've had very good times. People haven't had to incorporate their shadow. People are very friendly. People are very afraid of confrontation. Uh -huh. And people are very up for complying. And that is, that's especially true in, in countries like Canada. Mm. And people don't want to be confrontational, especially Canadians. So mm. I think it's just... There's the Stockholm Syndrome, there's the unincorporated shadow, and then there's just the thrill as mm. well. It's fun. And like I know this because originally I fell into that trap. When mm. COVID first came around in January, mm -hmm. you know, around December or January 2020, it was the first thing I'd do in the morning. I'd get up, refresh the page. <laughs> How many cases are there today? How many? It's thrilling. It's, it's scary. It's a morbid th yeah. thrill. Yeah, 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 exactly. So... Uh, like and it's a horrible thing, but mm. I was totally in that trap too. So I know that there are people that are still in that, and they enjoy it. They tell you six hundred thousand people died in America. I'm uh -huh. like, first off, no, they didn't. <laughs> they, they just didn't. Okay, like, like yes, well, they did. But how many people died the year previous and the year previous? Mm -hmm. Same amount, right? But mm -hmm. from different diseases, weirdly, mm -hmm. because the stats are all. The stats are all being disingenuously presented and, mm. you know, everyone's got a statistic that supports their position. But mm. so, yeah, I think it's a whole a whole combination is of various psychological factors that make people just go, I kind of want this. Like people, <laughs> people like and then. Oh, yeah. And then there's the whole, you know, let's go Ayn Rand on the whole thing. Like uh -huh. you get an excuse not to have to grow up. You know, we'll take responsibility for your right. life or your health or your finances or uh -huh. any of that stuff. Government says you're not allowed to work. Don't worry. Here's a bunch of money. <laughs> and we've seen that over and over again. And, you know, Biden is going insane with the money printing. and Not just you know, Biden, right? Trudeau yeah. too, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. Like this is why Bitcoin is so... None of us expected Bitcoin to quite be where it is so soon, I think. Mm -hmm. I expected things to take longer, but COVID just accelerated the timeline. Mm. I think COVID has been great for Bitcoin mm. because, well, for so many reasons. Well, unfortunately, we've had to suffer as a result. But yeah, I mean, the thing that I that's interesting to me about that is the political situation has changed quite a bit. And this may be a pretty good transition. You used to be sort of like a digital nomad. You've mm. lived in a lot of places, and this was sort of like a lifestyle for you. So let's start with that. What were you doing? What led you to become a digital nomad? And mm. what were sort of like the things that you were thinking about as you did that? Yeah, I can go right back to like crazy early here. Mm -hmm. Like I started as a musician when I was mm -hmm. 10 years old. Mm -hmm. My father's a musician, and mm -hmm. I, I was just an apprentice. Mm. School became pretty irrelevant pretty quickly. Mm. I studied music and did very badly at it mm -hmm. because I was too busy being a professional musician to write, <laughs> write any of the essays that you need to... Like, <laughs> music theory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah, that was a funny... I remember when I got my A-level results, uh -huh. I was doing this huge musical in London uh -huh. and I got my results that morning and I'd failed just about everything. I did... Mm. And I remember being like, does this matter? Because I'm about to go on stage to like 4,000 people and do this huge tribute show to it was called thriller live it was a michael jackson tribute show and it nice. was it was enormous and i remember just being like i don't think i need to worry about these <laughs> terrible a level results i always kind of that was you know we grew up I, i'm a 90s kid uh -huh. and everything is so cynical i always characterize it with this is a tangent i'm gonna go back uh -huh. to what i was saying but <laughs> i always thought like the comedy of the 90s and the next decade it was always characterized by a sort of underlying cynicism yeah. though it's actually appropriate because all of our institutions are in this fourth turning rotten period mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. nothing really works anymore and education's particularly true mm -hmm. so i do think i kind of 
I'm glad I chose. I felt like maybe I'm being lazy here, and I felt judged by my grandfather and people that are like, "You need to go to Cambridge or Oxford, all that stuff. You're going to be a musician, really." I was like, "I don't see the point in going to university." Uh-huh. And now, it, basically, to me, it seems like the real. If you want to get employed by some powerful startup in the Bitcoin mm. space, they almost think you're a sucker if you went and got a degree. <laughs> like, so I'm like, yeah, I thought it was all nonsense. And mm. that's kind of like, so what? You spent 200 grand to get mm-hmm. a degree that, you know, and it was it worth it? Like, mm. I don't think so. So anyway, I went that route. I'm glad I did. I don't know if my intuition was right. Maybe, mm. and I was also just lazy. I don't know what balance of the two <laughs> there were. But I was a musician and... Trying to get musicians interested in Bitcoin, that's just something that was so difficult to do. Mm. And this is why I recently connected with Keith Levine, Mm. who's a a punk musician. He Mm. founded The Clash. He's been on a bunch of Bitcoin podcasts. Mm. He was on Peter McCormack's podcast, and I think he's been on uh, Tales from the Crypt as well. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about music, just saying there's just... The only thing punk in the world now is Bitcoin. Mm. And it's not just a coincidence that mm. it's called cypherpunk technology or mm-hmm. the ideology is called the cypherpunk movement. And I reached out to him in like a second and was like, mm. dude, I so relate. Because uh-huh. I used to play for even the people he was talking about, uh-huh. like Amy Winehouse. And mm-hmm. I just was, where's the attitude in all this? Why is everything just corporate bootlicking? Like, <laughs> that's not what music was never at. Uh-huh. And it's, so, it's such a gutless industry now. Mm. So by around 20, 2011... Around 2010, 2011, I started doing the biggest things I'd done in music. I mm-hmm. played for Donna Summer, Sam Moore from Sam and Dave, mm. and a bunch of like pop stars from the UK that you wouldn't know about now, mm-hmm. but that were famous for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I started to do all right, mm. but I discovered Bitcoin at the same time mm. and couldn't get anyone interested in it at all. Mm. And then by the time 2012 came around, I was fully in by that point. Mm. That was it. I was obsessed with Bitcoin, and then I ended up sort of falling out i guess with uh, the singer i was playing for at the time we'd been on tour for a couple of years mm. and it wasn't like uh his i was his piano player he wanted his old piano player back which i understood and i was sort of left drifting a bit aimlessly i'd mm. done all of the gigs i'd been doing prior to that were sort of mid-level like a mm-hmm. lot of bar mitzvahs and weddings <laughs> and stuff like that you know but suddenly i'd gone a bit bigger i was doing uh-huh. like tours with you know really mm-hmm. nice equipment and getting treated really well staying in great hotels i didn't really want to go back to that Mm. so i was kind of left a bit aimless for a while i had a bit of savings with no interest obviously (laughs) so and you know after uh, around mid 2012 i just well silk road came around Mm. and i started learning how to use tor and pgp and all these technologies and i was really into the ideology of Mm. the cypherpunk movement like we had these beautiful Mm. pillars of freedom we had Mm. pgp we had tour we had bitcoin Mm -hmm. and you know uh, julian assange was just talking about how this was you know you have the nuclear bomb and you Mm -hmm. have asymmetric or public key cryptography like the universe allows these two things and the nuclear bomb allows incredible power it doesn't Mm -hmm. physics doesn't have to work that way but it Mm -hmm. does Mm -hmm. and public key cryptography doesn't have to work the way it does Mm -hmm. but it does Mm -hmm. and he's saying this you know he believes in the freedom this can offer individuals Mm -hmm. and i i was even looking at it like even back then Mm -hmm. appreciating how governments making drugs illegal helps everything because it incentivizes the creation of all these bulletproof Mm -hmm. kinds of technologies Mm -hmm. in the end that didn't that hasn't really worked out Uh as far as i can see the darknet markets but yeah so i got into it 
deeply in 2012. Started mining with my laptop. Uh, just <laughs> I still <laughs> I still have that laptop. I I bought a new MacBook Pro just to have a great. I didn't know uh, enough uh, to figure out how to like buy a proper graphics card. Eventually, I did and destroyed a computer trying to like uh, like <laughs> and paid like a 400 pound electricity bill to uh-huh. mine half a Bitcoin or something, which was worth like two pounds well, I mean, like, it's <laughs> worth it now exactly <laughs> yeah that was the th- i was still living at home and my mm. parents were like what no you just well you're paying the electricity bill this month mm. you know and i was like it's you'll get it but uh-huh. i mean they get it now don't worry mm. but at the time it was hard to explain and to be honest i still could have bought mm-hmm. instead of buying them the graphics card and the electricity <laughs> i could have bought like 30 bitcoins so <laughs> yeah. it, it, was, it wasn't actually worth it it wasn't a very good trade no <laughs> yeah sort of finished that all up i got at the end of 2012, I saw the price start to, you know, suddenly creep up again. I'd missed the bubble to $37. Mm-hmm. That was the mm-hmm. first bubble. I missed mm-hmm. that one. And this, the next bubble was, you know, early 2013. And we had a double top in that yep. year. And yep. Yeah. By 2013, I was set to go to Sweden to record an album. Mm. We went in April, March and April 2013. Mm. Uh, if you remember what the yeah, price did yeah, then. Yeah. Yeah, the rest of the band weren't very happy with me because I just couldn't pay attention to the music. I was obsessed with Bitcoin. I had a bot on Twitter that told me every like thread on Bitcoin talk that would get like a lot of like noise. So I would read everything I could possibly read. And yeah, I went down the rabbit hole. I experienced my first bear market, which was uh-huh. summer 2013, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was my first bear market. And it was the hardest thing I think I've ever gone through. And then obviously it took a couple of months to shake it off. Then it went uh-huh. all the way up to a thousand. Uh-huh. And I just couldn't believe it. And, you know, then, well, the rest is history. But by that time, I was a full on, full on Bitcoiner. Mm-hmm. And then, but I didn't really realize until the fork wars in 2017 that I would. I pretty much would go down with the ship with this thing. And yeah. unless it died due to a bug or something like that, mm-hmm. if it was just attacked and attacked and attacked, I would defend it with everything I have because mm-hmm. I don't believe anything has quite the power. You know, uh, nothing man-made mm-hmm. has the power that Bitcoin has to mm-hmm. get us out of the hole we're in. And then COVID comes along and you're like, God, <laughs> we really need... What would the world be without Bitcoin right now? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, so, uh, all right. So I have a few things that I want to talk about w- within what you said. But the first thing is like, so you're traveling around. Yeah. What happened around like, so you're going to Sweden and mm-hmm. like, like what happened after that? Like, where did you go and how did you end up becoming sort of like this digital nomad and what were you doing? At that yeah. So I forgot to even address that. <laughs> the musician lifestyle had uh-huh. led me to be used to just traveling around with this bag here mm-hmm. and a laptop in it. And mm-hmm. just, you know, when you're on tour, you don't bring your own keyboards and stuff. Uh-huh. All the techs deal with that stuff. So I was used to traveling around Europe and all uh-huh. that stuff. And, and I was used to it. It was a great lifestyle, the digital nomad lifestyle. I still had a basic base at my parents' house, but mm-hmm. I wasn't there very much. From the years 2013 to 2016, mm-hmm. I was still living at my parents' house and I wasn't doing music anymore. So mm-hmm. it was pretty much, ex- I moved to America for a little bit within that. Mm-hmm. I did various bits and pieces, just moving around. I had, I still had a band going, but mm-hmm. I wasn't really, I wasn't really giving it the attention it deserved because mm-hmm. Bitcoin was taking too much energy and... Mm-hmm. So that eventually sort of dissolved in around 2016. Mm. But 2016 was where I just started renting around London and moving around various places mm-hmm. just because I was, I know I would have been around 25 or something. And I, was, I didn't want to be living with my parents anymore, <coughs> mm-hmm. you know, for obvious reasons. And, but then 
2017 had such a psychological toll on me because mm. like you were saying at the conference like it's all very well saying bitcoin thrives under adversarial conditions but it's stressful mm. when you're in those conditions and bitcoin was being attacked like nothing you've ever seen <laughs> and i didn't think we would win i was mm. i was you know i was you know oh ye of little faith like mm. it, bitcoin survived and it survived like laughingly easily but mm at the time you know from all all of 2016 and all of 2017 all i did was sit on reddit and <laughs> you know i would wake up in the morning and have like a hundred unread messages on reddit and just all of them would be from big big blocker trolls and you know <laughs> and i would answer all of them eat breakfast go to the gym come back from the gym and there'd be another hundred messages <laughs> this is all i would do uh, that was it and <laughs> so 2017 played a, uh, I was at that point I was living in Camden mm. with a musician friend of mine and Bitcoin was obviously just having its best year at the time price wise mm. it was just flying up but at the same time I was running out of money mm. all of my savings that I'd, mm. I'd had from music that mm. were slowly evaporating because I got paid well to go on tour and mm. all that and I was living at my parents for most of that time so <laughs> I, got to, I got to pocket everything mm. but in 2017 I, when I moved into a really expensive place in Camden it mm. was I was paying like over a thousand US rent uh -huh. a month uh -huh. which was a lot to me at the time mm. with no job and you know, it was 2016, late 2016, so we weren't obviously going to mm -hmm. do that amazing mm -hmm. bull run yet. So I was like, I'm going to have to get a job, and I don't really want to work in music anymore. Uh -huh. And I was ready for it. Uh -huh. But then Bitcoin did what it did in 2017. We fought, we fought, we won, we got Segwit. But there were all these hard forks, which uh -huh. was just free money just being <laughs> thrown at us. By, it was incredible. Like, every day there'd be some new ridiculous Bitcoin excellent or Bitcoin super awesome. Like, every day. And it would just... And if, you know, even if the value of them was like $50 each, yeah. you know, for every Bitcoin you own, that's, that's a lot of money. Like, so... Uh -huh. You know, Bitcoin Cash was obviously lucrative, mm -hmm. and all of these things I would just sell straight away. Mm -hmm. And but by the end of it, what I did was Bitfinex had. Mm -hmm. I swear, all this comes back to uh -huh. the digital nomad <laughs> stuff eventually. Bitfinex had a thing where they there was this Segwit 2x New York agreement mm -hmm. whole business, which mm -hmm. I imagine people listening to this have a brief understanding of mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. Basically, a bunch of CEOs and influential business people in the Bitcoin space decided amongst themselves that mm -hmm. we'd all agreed that uh, blocks were going to be made larger mm -hmm. in exchange for Segwit. Mm -hmm. And the plebs, like us, all said, well, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. So you've agreed amongst yourselves. We don't agree to it. And they were like, yes, you did. And we were like, it was all just gaslighting mm -hmm. we were like you guys met in a hotel room and decided something you know uh -huh. yeah so anyway bitfinex decided okay we're gonna make this thing exist before even the fork where or mm -hmm. even the block height where the fork would occur uh -huh. um, we're gonna create a futures market for it and we're gonna allow you to sell the fork before uh -huh. it even exists yeah. or sell the incumbent bitcoin chain mm -hmm. in favor of the fork mm. and we're gonna see with a futures market and i know aaron van weirdem is a big fan of this method of yeah. the economic free market method of discovering what's there's it, a lot of people that are fans of that yeah it's a good method and mm. but that's it still was one of the most stressful things i've ever done because i had to move some bitcoin uh -huh. and leave it on bitfinex <laughs> at the height of the tether fud <laughs> and i was watching tone vase and i think uh -huh. you were doing the new show yeah, with yeah. Him at the time the tether fud was not very reassuring at all and that was uh, you know i was worried that especially bitfinex, at bitfinex yeah. Yeah, yeah i was but the only i will say adam back reassured me personally and was like look bitfinex are good actors uh -huh. and when adam back vouches for something i will 
give it a lot of leeway because mm. I don't know he's just such an excellent advocate and mm. you know so but nonetheless for six weeks I had a lot of I basically had everything I own mm -hmm. on Bitfinex and guess what Jeff Garzik off by one errored the whole thing so none of the contract was valid mm -hmm. all of the posturing that had been done all of the confidence from like uh -huh. Vinnie Lingham and Brian Armstrong and all these people Eric Voorhees and all that turned out to be nothing the minute mm -hmm. the futures market exists their coin plummeted to mm -hmm. zero but mm -hmm. you got pretty much 30% of every Bitcoin you put in there wow. extra so you, you yeah. got 30% yeah. nice yeah it was nice. incredible and trying to explain that to my accountant was fun I'm like <laughs> what what was this thing you sold i'm like oh it doesn't it never existed i sold it before <laughs> like, like but i mean I, I sold the future or something yeah yeah i mean so that thing <coughs> but because there was an off by one era mm. not only had i been through six weeks of stress and i started smoking an insane amount of weed and just <laughs> in an unhealthy way i hope that's not too annoying for anyone listening <laughs> I, i think it should be okay yeah, yeah. so But the worst thing about it was I was ready. I was crossing off the days literally like uh -huh. a prisoner. Like uh -huh. when I get my... Because I didn't have Bitcoin anymore. I had BT1 tokens, uh, yeah, which yeah. would become Bitcoin when the fork would occur. Mm -hmm. But according to the contract Bitfinex had made. Uh -huh. But because there was an off by one error, every exchange that was doing this took the snapshot at the wrong block height. Uh -huh. And they said, okay, well, now we just have to wait until the 31st of December. This uh -huh. was our fallback. Uh -huh. So suddenly it was another six weeks. Uh -huh. And I was like, my time in this... this <laughs> This torture of not my keys, not my <laughs> coins, that's all going to continue. It was the most horrific feeling. And what I did was I ended up buying a bunch of the the, to the, uh -huh. the shitcoin tokens, uh -huh. recombining them into Bitcoin and pulling yeah, it off. Yeah, because they were so cheap. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember just being like, it's worth it. I'm uh -huh. going to take that hit. And mm. I think it cost me a few thousand dollars to do it. But mm. it meant I had all my Bitcoin back under my control. But anyway, all this is to say, by this point, I was just such a mental like uh -huh. wreck. I'd been through so much stress and so much, you know, fighting and battling for Bitcoin. Like we'd got Segwit, we ne we never knew if it was going to happen. We'd fought mm -hmm. off, you know, Bitmain's attacks. We fought off Roger Veer's disinformation. We fought mm -hmm. off Bitcoin.com. We fought off Reddit slash BTC, and now we'd fought off all of the big exchanges in the spaces trying to force big blocks on us that we didn't want, and we'd won. But finally, we were back in this place and you know, the top of the market came suddenly and mm. then it was, you know, we had all these altcoins too, uh -huh. right? We had 2017 was, I think 2017 was the highest altcoins have ever been because <laughs> in terms of Bitcoin, yeah. nothing has ever recovered to that. Like Ethereum, yep. all these shit coins, nothing's ever, 2017 was the height of Bitcoin, uh, mm -hmm. sorry, crypto stupidity. Uh -huh. So I had to deal with that too. I had everyone that I'd ever met in the music industry yeah. suddenly phoning me up, asking me about nonsense like oh. you know like <laughs> what do you think about ripple yeah, exactly yeah. yeah and just that just got annoying and uh -huh. so but then december the crash came all the stress came like i had to deal with this basic abuse of cannabis that i got uh -huh. into and, like admit that i just had a total dysfunctional relationship with a plant sort of thing so i went up i don't know i'm hesitant to talk about this but i'm going to do it i decided Like, usually I would take a big psychedelic, mm -hmm. have a big psychedelic uh -huh. experience to uh -huh. kind of clean me out. Uh -huh. And I did, and uh -huh. nothing happened at all. And uh -huh. I was like, wow, I need to go to Peru. Uh -huh. And a Bitcoiner I know, I'd helped dump uh, one of the hard forks. Because <laughs> it was one of these hard forks that had, hadn't incorporated SegWit. Yeah. So, but if your coins were sitting at, this was nested SegWit. Yeah, yeah. If your coins were sitting at those addresses, it was much harder. You had to derive the, uh -huh. you know, the... 
Well, you know better than anyone. Mm. You had to derive the legacy address. Uh, yeah. The, the uh, yeah. nested segue address was like being... I don't know how to describe it exactly, but uh, at the time I knew how It was how a pay-to-pub key yeah. address that was derived from a pay-to-pub, pay-to-script hash address or something to that effect. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I remember like trying to write a Python script that would uh-huh. extract it for uh-huh. you, you know. And anyway, I managed to help him dump it and he made thousands of dollars from it. Uh-huh. And like, so what happened after that was... But we never met, right? Uh-huh. And I had the opportunity to to rip him off because he sent me his <laughs> private keys. Not f- his Bitcoin had already moved, uh-huh. but he's, I still could have stolen everything. Uh-huh. I never met him, and we'd never met each other. And anyway, I helped him sell all this stuff, and he he sent me a bunch of money afterwards, which he also didn't have to do. Uh-huh. We were just two uh-huh. anonymous avatars, <laughs> so that all happened. And funnily enough, for some reason, like divine coincidence, he just mentioned Peru, uh-huh. and I was like, Peru, hey, what do you know about ayahuasca? <laughs> and uh, he was like, I'm deep into it. Uh, he, and he told me, here's where you need to go. Uh-huh. Here's the shaman you need to see. All that stuff. Uh-huh. Two days later, I was in Peru. Uh-huh. And I was like, fix my head to uh-huh. the shamans there. Uh-huh. And, you know, I went through a lot of a lot of wonderful stuff, a lot of pain and suffering. And, and I got back to London and was uh-huh. like, ah. That, like, when I left Peru, uh-huh. I was thinking... This was horrible. I hate this. Like I've uh-huh. had, it was nice the first night, and now I just hate this place. I want to get out of this shithole. Like uh-huh. you know, the ho- the bed smells of vomit from uh-huh. people like puking up all night, and uh-huh. it's just horrible. So I like got out of there. Like it wasn't even polite to people. I was like, God, <laughs> screw this place. Screw you guys. I'm going home. So I got back to London. And was like, oh. This is what's wrong. I hate this city. I was just born here. I just, uh-huh. but there's nothing about it I like. Like I can't breathe. The food is horrible. The people are all just claustrophobic and uh-huh. sick of. So, I decided to go meet that guy. I helped, uh-huh. and he uh-huh. lived in BC, Canada. Because uh-huh. I was like, we need to meet anyway. Uh-huh. Like, this is too incredible. So I went there and and met him, and then I met while I was traveling around the Gulf Islands in mm-hmm. BC. I met. Joyce, who uh-huh. you know, we have a family now, uh-huh. and uh, everything just snowballed from there. I got Canadian residency, <laughs> all that. I live in Canada, and now Canada's become what it is. But nonetheless, I was still just sort of free again. Like I uh-huh. decided, I need to get out of London. I'm going to travel around, and mm-hmm. you know, pack a suitcase, then Peru, then Canada, then Peru again. And it's always been my lifestyle to just uh-huh. move around like that. And mm-hmm. this. Conference lifestyle as well is great. You guys move around. So, yeah, that's that's been my life. That's my life story, roughly, <laughs> relatively speaking. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot there, and I want to get back to something that you said about sort of like your experience as a musician. You talked about how it's kind of sold out, right? And there's no punk in it anymore. Can you describe what punk means to you, and why really Bitcoin is the only thing that's actually punk anymore? Yeah, I, it's an attitude and a state of mind. It's kind of hard to sum it up in a sentence, but mm-hmm. if you have an inherent and you have the inability to respect authority, mm-hmm. just you don't have that knee-jerk reaction where you think, I need to do what I'm told, or you have the ability to deal with the awkwardness of going against mm-hmm. the grain because it's hard walking through an airport without a mask mm-hmm. and having people tell you off. It's hard. Like, mm-hmm. it's scary. Mm-hmm. And you know to have that attitude it's it's not something you see in the music industry because everyone wants to get everyone wants to get a, a deal or mm. you know or a publishing deal or a record deal or something like that 
And you've got to behave. Like, you, record labels don't want a, a risky thing. They want <laughs> they don't want someone that's going to use the wrong pronouns in, yeah, yeah. Like in an interview. No yeah. way. Like, <laughs> they, they're not that brave. Like, even though all publicity is good publicity, and if uh, you, but you'll just get erased now. It won't blow up like a controversy. Yeah. It will just be, oh, that person doesn't exist anymore. They got, <laughs> they, they got dropped. You know, it would be like, it would be like those, back when being gay was not a good thing in American music industry. Uh-huh. Like, I think it was either George Michael or Elton John. It was not discussed. Uh-huh. It was never known what they were. Uh-huh. And I think one of them, when it came out, got dropped from their record label. Oh, wow. So it's not like a good and controversial thing, uh-huh. like where all publicity is good publicity kind of thing. It's actually just don't do it. Like uh-huh. behave like uh-huh. you're, you're straight. Okay, the women love you. Like the Christians mm. are going to absolutely lynch you if you, you know, it was that sort of mm-hmm. assumption, right? Mm-hmm. So music now has just become. I can't begin to tell you how much of a bootlicking industry it is. People, Mm. like, you just have to behave, and it's so stifling. And not Mm. just in the, like, you know, playing weddings and functions Mm. at weekends, but also just on big-scale stuff as well. Mm. Like, you know, dealing with record labels, they want you to have the appearance of of rebelliousness and Mm. all that, but they want it very tightly contained, and they want Mm. it, you know, they want it... The controlled destruction, maybe I should call it. They mm. they want it all contained like that, and mm. it makes sense. I mean, everything's been very manufactured in music for a long time now. Mm. It's not the '60s, and it's a sad state of affairs. And everything, I think, it's just another institution that's in decay. Mm. And uh, I'm wondering what eventually will happen. Like, there should be a soundtrack to the cypherpunk movement and mm-hmm. the, you know the anti-COVID thing. And I'm thinking. God, it is punk, isn't it? Because I've mm-hmm. I found myself for the last 10 years, like, people ask me, like, what do you want to listen to? And I'm like, I don't know. There's just no music around. <laughs> like, like I was, I've been through everything. Like, uh-huh. And I was just like, and I'm a musician, right? I'm a multi-instrumentalist. And I'm sitting here like, what do I want to listen to? Because like, everything that's been done for the last 30 years is just retro, nostalgia. Like, the mm-hmm. 90s was a rehash of the 70s. Mm-hmm. The next two decades were basically the 80s done again. <laughs> then in the 2010s, it was Americans discovering house music from Europe. And instead of it having all these drug connotations, they just called it EDM. Uh-huh. And it was really, really just unadventurous and mm. really, really stale. And now, then dubstep had a little bit of time. Like, obviously, the 90s had hip-hop come out of it. That was huge. But there's just been... Now, I don't... Like, it feels... I, I genuinely feel like music isn't even made by humans anymore. I feel like... <laughs> like, some Rihanna songs, I feel like this is just an algorithm that just churned this out in five minutes. The lyrics don't... They actually sound like the kind of stuff Google Translate would, would throw at you. <laughs> like, I don't even believe it. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm wondering what the soundtrack is. And then when I met Keith, I was like, obviously, the soundtrack that needs mm-hmm. to come out now organically is, is is punk. It's going to have that attitude, even if it doesn't sound like punk used to. Mm. It's going to be that. It's going to sound like that. And it's going to match. It's got to be something that's, you know, mm. violently anti-establishment because mm. the establishment is so violent. Mm. Like, you know, you can't, you, you're going to have to fight fire with fire on this one. Like, yeah, we can do it peacefully with Bitcoin, which roots around and it's a peaceful revolution. But, you know, that's financial sovereignty and freedom. But what about freedom of assembly, freedom of association? (laughs) Like, there's so much, there's a bunch of other essential freedoms that are just gone now that we're going to have to fight to get back. Yeah, what you said reminds me of this documentary I watched on the insane clown posse a while back. (laughs) You know, like, this is like the craziest band ever, right? Like, it's a bunch of black dudes, like, dressed up as clowns, and they say, like, really, like, profanity-laced, like, songs about, like, just 
completely and the documentary was essentially like yeah they even co-opted the these guys right like mm-hmm. somehow the music industry got them to essentially submit <laughs> and in a sense like i wonder about you know like having that level of rebelliousness because it's something that the music industry loves yeah. is that like that rebel feel and whatever it takes right even if it's insane clown posse right mm. just absolutely off the wall crazy stuff they'll go and co-opt it and somehow get them to bend the knee. Like, how do you get it to not bend the knee, right? Like, what do you do? I think it's one of those things that's just an emergent inevitability. Uh Like, something comes along. Like, Uh The Prodigy were a good example. Uh Like, Rave, the Mm -hmm. genre Rave, I Mm -hmm. think it was called. Like, And there was no control in that. It was Mm -hmm. out of nowhere. This one genius called Liam Howlett Mm -hmm. and this album, The Fat of the Land, with Uh a crab on it, like... Mm -hmm. It just broke all the rules. Like uh-huh. it just the minute you heard that you were like, "That's it! I want to go crazy!" <laughs> like let's find a cop and like just you know, like, th- we're gonna. It was incredible, but the trouble is, once it exists and mm-hmm. once the emotional connotations exist for people, and you know, it, a genre has a sort of feeling that you mm-hmm. can you can become sort of into, mm-hmm. and all that can happen is just a record label can go out and pay someone. Mm-hmm. to replicate it and do mm-hmm. a similar thing and keep them in a you know a contractual obligation where they're sort of on a leash instead mm-hmm. like so once it gets established mm. it can just be co-opted straight away like mm-hmm. it can be presented to you marketed to you by people that don't really want to take unnecessary risk mm-hmm. and it reminds me a lot of bitcoins to shitcoins mm-hmm. because you can take bitcoin's code and you can mm-hmm. basically reuse it but you won't have anything like what bitcoin is because you mm-hmm. can't replicate that because mm-hmm. bitcoin is genuinely organic mm-hmm. and it genuinely it has a self we know about the self-reinforcing mechanism mm-hmm. that, of the bitcoin has and the way it raises the bar for decentralization so mm-hmm. nothing else really can be considered decentralized especially mm-hmm. in the crypto space but when like you have these things that like litecoin is if you just look at the code it's it's bitcoin with a couple of variables tweaked <laughs> but we know it's not we know uh-huh. litecoin is not bitcoin but uh-huh. it's almost metaphysical <laughs> it isn't right like and it's the same with music like you can come along and you can make another band that uh-huh. that's part of the same genre i mean we've seen that in spades right like <laughs> i still remember the 90s and it was yeah. it was alternative band after alternative band that were like yeah. it sounded exactly the same, yeah. right? Like same emo, same same outfits, same like instruments. Everything was the same. It was what the heck? I know the music industry went 1984 before uh-huh. everything else, like uh-huh. al- alternative and independent. What yeah. do these mean? Oh, it means this exact sound. Like <laughs> you'll never ever escape. It's not that, an right? alternative yeah. to anything, yeah. and it's not independent of anything. But yeah. yeah, that's what we'll call it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it was just like. It was such a sad time. And I I do go on about The Simpsons because Mm. The Simpsons, they were intelligent, like poignant writers, right? Mm. That understood the zeitgeist. (laughs) And as a result, everything in there is miserable. Like Uh everything doesn't work properly. Uh Like no one can be trusted. Institutions are all liars. Like Mm -hmm. everyone's selfish. Everyone's shallow in their thinking. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to realize like, oh, that's just this part of time. That's not humans in Mm. general. Yeah, yeah. Right? There is a return to optimism right now. And I think... You know, there's a reason to be optimistic. Like, it's nice to to be at the bottom. Like, mm-hmm. humanity is climbing out of the ditch right mm-hmm. now. I think, and it's nice to actually. You be think like, we hit bottom? Really? Yeah, <laughs> I think I think things are so bad because uh-huh. we bottomed, and now uh-huh. we have the. It's like uh-huh. you know, you steered the ship uh-huh. to the right. Uh-huh. You, the steering wheel's center now, uh-huh. but the ship is still like careening uh-huh. around to the right. You know? Yeah. 
Something okay. like that. Maybe okay. we didn't, but... Uh. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you seem to be an optimist there. But there is this attitude of a punk that is common sort of in, you know, Bitcoin mm. and in music. That's an interesting parallel. So, I mean, talking more about... Like, yeah, but, yeah. So talking more about, like, your personal life, you're finding Canada quite oppressive. Absolutely. So... What's your solution? What are your plans? And, and how are you sort of evaluating what's going on everywhere else? Well, my main uh, paradigm that I'm seeing the world through is you have the option of comfort or you have the option of doing what is staring you in the face as necessary. Mm-hmm. And the reason, the main reason people wouldn't flee an obviously oppressive, tyrannical, well, there are two actually, but mm-hmm. if you're living in, sorry to do this, if you're living in Nazi Germany, <laughs> in the 30s and you're Jewish or you know you're black or mm-hmm. something uh, like uh-huh. an oppressed minority by the Nazis and if you have the intelligence to know where that's going to end up uh-huh. then the only reason you wouldn't leave uh, well the predominant reason you wouldn't leave is because you don't want to disrupt your comfort yeah. as far as I can tell mm-hmm. and now with COVID you have the additional reason that there's nowhere obvious to actually go mm-hmm. because this is a global ph- COVID hysteria is global and mm-hmm. it's and it's unpredictable. Like, uh, mm. not Jews could just flee to America, mm-hmm. and they were good. Mm-hmm. But there's nowhere of it. COVID nomads. It's a complicated thing. And I've, I've recently like we only just met like mm-hmm. in person this conference. But I'd reached out to a bunch of people that in were in the Bitcoin space that mm-hmm. I just sort of thought mm-hmm. would be in the same area. And Giacomo was one of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I just asked him like, look, you don't know me, but here's my situation. I have a family. I'm half Jewish. I'm half a lot of my family were killed in the mm-hmm. Holocaust. I can see the way things are going. Uh-huh. I don't need to wait for it to get that bad before uh-huh. I go, oh, now I'm going to leave because then it's too late. Mm. So rather than risk it, I think I want to get out of here. Where do I go? And I didn't expect him to respond. Mm-hmm. And then I got a 45-minute voice note <laughs> response. I was like, wow, <laughs> thank you. And I had to listen to it and like, you know, mm. keep going through it with, with baby crying at me and yeah. stuff. But... Yeah, I was encouraged by that. And Alex Fetsky's got some great ideas as well. So my idea is basically there's a whole bunch of trade-offs you've got to make, right? Mm. The IRS definitely scare me a lot in mm. America mm. because once you're on their radar, you'll never really get off it. Mm-hmm. But Texas and Florida are obviously amazing. And mm. in Bitcoin 2021, I experienced Florida. Mm. and was like, this is absolutely incredible. I'm so... <laughs> like we had... It was my first time at a Bitcoin conference uh, meeting yeah. everyone. I'd underestimated how emotionally like poignant that would be for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself is amazing. But in the context of lockdowns and masks and mm-hmm. all that, being in Miami with no one caring about it, all Bitcoiners, all mm-hmm. dead, united. In, I mean, we saw like 15 people out of the 12,000 wearing masks, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was just like, <laughs> what are you doing? But nonetheless, it was like, I was in tears at the end of that conference. Just I was so moved by what I'd experienced. Like I got to meet like one after the other, every one of these people I'd been, you know, mm-hmm. reading and learning from for 10 years. Like mm-hmm. it was incredible. So, mm-hmm. you know, I met Max Kaiser, I met mm-hmm. Peter Todd, like all of these people that like, mm-hmm. anyway, so Florida obviously is amazing, but mm-hmm. Texas, where, I mean, Texas is a pretty special place. It's a place we made fun of a lot. You know, in my from my background, we make fun of these sorts of King of the Hill type people. You <laughs> know, and from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> but now I find myself going, that's actually an obvious place to go. So mm. if I can get over my sort of hang up about the IRS and mm. how, because I mean, the IRS is oppressive, right? Mm. Like the tax authorities aren't like 
that bad in other mm. countries. I've dealt with CRA, the Canadian mm. Revenue Agency. I've dealt with the Inland Revenue, which is the UK. Mm. Mm. Neither of them are that bad. Like, mm. they're all right. Like, if you make a mistake, they'll be like, oh, it's a mistake. They're, they're not punitive. Like, mm. the IRS seems to be a, a nasty thing to deal with. Uh, it depends. It depends. And, you know, if you make a mistake, you know, they'll penalize you a little bit, but right. it's not like, you know, you have to pay quadruple your income tax or something like that yeah. like that would be oppressive but yeah i mean sort of getting back to this whole thing like you've lived a life that's it's very much like one of you know anti-authoritarian you know like Absolutely. sort of like you know go go around wherever and you know see what the world has for you but now you're a family man like how's that sort of changed your perspective and what are you planning going forward well it means I have to get it right. Like mm. I can't really, I can't experiment as much. I have to just really research and research and then mm. go, this is it. Because mm. it's so disruptive. Like having a baby is so hard. Like mm. just, that's it. Just having a baby alone <laughs> is hard. Like, and disrupting your comfort is, you know, just getting enough sleep is a privilege. <laughs> and like when you're underslept, everything is a thousand times harder. Like your body you know, inflammation disappears when you sleep, mm -hmm. right? So I have to be really careful with my diet. I'm strict carnivore mm -hmm. because, you know, that's the diet that causes the least inflammation. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people would agree. So it means you've got to be careful and I've got to get all my ducks lined up. So Canada is looking, it's said in three weeks, we're going to have vaccine passports in uh, Quebec, I believe. And I, where I live, BC, I think they will, I don't see why they wouldn't follow along with that. Mm -hmm. uh, Trudeau's bought hundreds i think hundreds of millions of shots worth of mm -hmm. pfizer and moderna mm -hmm. i think it's pfizer he bought mm -hmm. and he's going to use them he wants mm -hmm. them in people's arms mm -hmm. if this whole thing there's is, only 30 million people <laughs> i know yeah they want well you know you've got to have your software update i mean uh -huh. uh, <laughs> i mean a uh, booster jab like uh -huh. the, i mean the whole thing it's almost look, i don't want to get all alex jonesy about it i really don't mm -hmm. but like it's almost like they this is just the perfect thing like <laughs> if we could give you a vaccine that would work once mm -hmm. fair enough and people could fake it and do whatever they're going to do and mm -hmm. you know but the fact that you have to have repeated shots now is <laughs> it's so it's almost lucky for the authoritarians that the the vaccines don't work well enough <laughs> you know like great cuz if you like they've turned the negative yeah. into a positive it's one thing to need a passport when you right. get into a country it's right. another to need it on every street corner show mm. me your papers that's yeah. and it's it's just a more extreme version of one to the other right mm. like so vaccine mandatory vaccination is bad but mandatory repeated vaccinations yeah. it becomes so much harder to technologically work around that mm. because i mean look we want to get around this mm. and like i don't mind i don't know how careful i should be and, like, <laughs> in what i say but like we're not asking the federal reserve and banks mm. to treat us differently we're building bitcoin and mm -hmm. we're getting around the way they treat us that way and is it legal is it illegal i mean it's all kind of weird and hard to figure out right mm. but same here like it's a medical form of tyranny instead of a financial form of tyranny mm. and there's got to be a way around this and it's a new civil rights movement in my opinion but uh, sorry let me stay on track because you're asking me about what i'm going to do with the fact that i have a family now i'm, I'm not living the lifestyle i used to mm -hmm. it's lamentable in that there's no like i can't just do things as freely and easily as i used to because it's just too much punishment for mm. joyce and for my baby but we still need to do it mm. so this is like we turned this conference in Mexico into a, an exploratory excursion around mm -hmm. Baja, California, mm -hmm. and we've checked out a lot of stuff. But Mexico might not be the place. I don't know. But 
if there is a place and if there was no visa issues or you know mm. tax issues or anything make complicating the issue i would just go to texas it would be mm. easy mm. but getting american green cards and things like that's not so easy but i do <laughs> work easy at all. <laughs> no but I, I work for start nine now mm. and start nine are an american company mm. so it's very possible that they like, can sponsor your visa yeah yeah exactly so it might be possible but like i said i don't want to get i don't want to wait until i think when the weather gets cold again Mm-hmm. and cases start going up again and mm-hmm. deaths start going up again, they are going to absolutely tighten the noose. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to be gone before they do that. And it's mm-hmm. mid-August now. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think I'll... I don't want to be there past September. Oh, wow. Yeah. So very soon, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think what you described earlier is it brought to mind that like there are sort of like two worlds that are sort of emerging. There's sort of this uh, fiat world where... You know, like the place where they are enforcing these vaccine passports, for example, tend to be first in like federal government, right? Like you can't work for the for the military or for the government or something like that unless you are fully vaccinated, even mm-hmm. if you've had COVID before or whatever. That that seems to be the pattern that's going. And then there's and you know they're obviously expanding and Fiat's tentacles are in absolutely everything. So they, it's a pretty big movement there but then you have you know people like us right like that that are in the bitcoin camp that you know don't think that forcing vaccination is like an infringement on liberty that seems to be like do you expect us to have a chance against this monolithic you know government with lots of guns and things like that well i recently saw a tweet that Mm -hmm. made me realize oh of course you've Uh been looking at this thing wrong the whole time Mm -hmm. the goal is not for us to all have the vaccine, Mm -hmm. though there is a strong financial incentive for that. The the goal is to get us all to have this passport, this biometric, you know, Mm -hmm. deeply personal, uh, you Uh know. And eventually they will just say to all the people, the refuse nicks and the vaccine, Mm -hmm. you know, the anti-vaxxers and all that, as we've been characterized, they'll just say, fine, take the passport because Uh we can't deny you the civil liberties that, Uh you know, denied by not having this thing. Like, Uh you're not allowed into supermarkets, for God's Uh sake. You're not allowed Uh into airports, like... You all, civil liberties, you know, Mm. agencies are all saying, you know, you know, privacy advocates and all these Mm. people are saying, you can't deny these people that. Mm. And rather than say, okay, we'll get rid of the vaccine passports, they'll just say, okay, you can all have them even if you haven't had the vaccine. We'll grant you an exemption. (laughs) And then we sleepwalk into a brand new layer of, you know, of authoritarianism through Mm -hmm. technology. Mm. And that's definitely coming. And I think that is ultimately the goal of it. Like Pfizer's profits and Moderna Mm. and all that, that's obviously leading to a lot of Mm. misleading stuff and, Mm -hmm. you know, mal-incentivized press and all that stuff. But that's not ultimately, I think, the deep thing to fear. I think you'll get away without having to have the shot. But I think what's going to be really hard is resisting the passports. Mm. And that seems to be the end game. I think we have a shot nonetheless, but the trick is you just got to be in the right place before that happens. Mm. And Canada isn't the right place. And mm. the entire Commonwealth isn't. Like the UK, Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand they've all been particularly bad. Mm. And there's a reason for that. I mean, there's a reason it's not that bad in America. There's a bunch of reasons, right? Mm. You've, you can't push Americans as hard as as other cultures because mm-hmm. Americans are just the whole country is predicated on freedom mm-hmm. and you know it's a republic that was founded on the principles of limiting what the state can do not mm-hmm. what the individuals can do and people have talked about this a lot I don't really have any anything that uniquely insightful to say about America but I will say I've spent 
like my earlier woker years, mm-hmm. like because I was also woke but just confused. <laughs> right? I was anti-government, but I was very confused at the same time. One thing I really disliked was how I got into Bitcoin. Was I didn't even talk about my time at Occupy Wall Street and uh-huh. all that stuff. That's actually how I discovered Bitcoin, and it was right as I was transitioning out of music. But American foreign policy was the nightmare. That was mm-hmm. what I, I despised, and I really hated America for that. Mm-hmm. But America's a mixed bag, right? Yeah. And like Assange said, he has no illusions that if any other country was the dominant superpower, they'd be just as bad, right? Yeah. It's That just comes with the territory of it, but it doesn't mean you throw away what's good about America. And mm. it took me a long time to appreciate that. And, mm. and you know, there's some Europeans particularly have a very derisory, like <laughs> elitist, like dismissal of Americans, like, oh, you know, Americans, idiots, they don't know what irony means. Yeah, yeah, like, I've <laughs> they, traveled through Europe. I, I've gotten a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we feel smugly superior, but mm. we're not. And like, you get, if you're anyone that thinks, like, if you remember what authoritarianism was in Europe, if you remember socialism, Nazism, <laughs> if you remember these things, you just have to look at Americans and go, well done. Mm-hmm. Like, well done. <laughs> like, you avoided this fate. Yeah, yeah. Like, for all our snobbish superiority complex, like, we are, like, look at Germany. Look at Israel as well, by the way. But, I mean... That's only Europe if you watch the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, it's not like they're going to participate in a Middle East thing, right? Like, it, yeah, that's generally not going to be a good idea. No. Yeah, so I guess that's the point. Be mm. where you need to be and, like, long it out. Like, mm. so there's a whole bunch of people that have abandoned. Like, I know, uh, what's her name, Julia Turinsky, I can't mm. say her last Turiansky, name. Yeah. She abandoned Canada and went down to Texas. Yeah, yeah, we're friends with her, yeah. She, yeah. And she's near Austin, yeah. Yeah, so it seems to be that's the place to go. So it's just a case of convincing my other half and, <laughs> you know, being able to handle a lot of disruption and discomfort. Fortunately, the money isn't like this would all be so much harder if I was broke. And mm-hmm. thanks to Bitcoin, I'm not broke. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And you don't have to go play bar mitzvahs. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no more bar mitzvahs, please. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So I think we're coming up on about an hour. So where can people find you? How can people contact you? So uh, I'm on Twitter. It's a shame to shill a big data platform like that, but that's probably the best way to contact me. It's at grass-fed Bitcoin, uh, sort of not me tipping my hat to good quality beef that, you know, <laughs> that Bitcoiners are into, this carnivory thing. It's not, it's not a silly thing. It's a great thing. Also, I'm... Um, where else am I? I have a website, bitcoinmechanic.ca, mm-hmm. but that is the business I was had been running for a while. I'm not taking any new clients at the moment because I just don't have time, but I would help people you know, set up full nodes or recover lost coins and things mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. I don't have time for it right now. It says on the website, please mm-hmm. don't hire me right <laughs> now because you know, I can't be bothered to keep updating the form and saying I'm not around. So mm-hmm. occasionally someone will just hire me and I'm like, oh God, <laughs> now, now I have an appointment tomorrow at three o'clock when I'm on a flight. Like, uh-huh. So that's no good. But nonetheless, it has my YouTube channel, a link there to my YouTube channel. And I've got a lot of Bitcoin instructional videos there and some political discussions and a podcast I do with the guy I mentioned before, Keith Levine, the, one of the founders of the punk movement and a friend of mine called Thomas Strollite, another great Canadian Bitcoiner. And he's written some articles. I think you mm-hmm. shared one of them, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these uh, we do a podcast that's on my YouTube channel. So yeah, those are the two things you can find: my Twitter and my uh, my YouTube. And yeah, that's about it. I'd say. All right. Well, that was a fast hour. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for being on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. 
Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this podcast. I am an advisor to the company. I know the team well, and I'm excited for what they are building. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at Unchained.com. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Bitcoin Mechanic can be found at at grassfedbitcoin and bitcoinmechanic.ca. Until next time, be on board.